So Lumpur started off by saying uh, homage to the blessed one, the noble one, the rightly self-awakened one. And um, as we're sitting in meditation, uh, listening to the Dhamma, and you can just sit in a normal meditation posture, just whatever you're used to. Um, but if you're used to having your hands in Anjali, uh, then you can do that as well. So yesterday morning I spoke about uh, this kind of straight path of practice. The, the talk was directly on the path of practice. And uh, maybe it's possible to, to give a deeper talk than this. Um, but in speaking about giving talks on this path of practice, um, it's necessary um, for us to be able to understand this first. Because uh, sometimes there's a lot of thinking going on. Sometimes the mind's very scattered. Uh, there can be a lot of aversion. It uh, can be all over the place. And the mindfulness just doesn't stay with us. And uh, at times you can feel terrified and feel like it's not possible for any more fear to come up. There can be great feelings of love or hate. And uh, when this happens, then the defilements, they have a lot of power behind them. And our mindfulness and wisdom can be very weak. So the practice and our lives can be like this at times. So what we need to do is to find um, something that we can depend on to have our sincerity in keeping sila. And that's the first step. That no matter how strong these emotions are, no matter how many of them we're feeling, we're determined to stay restrained within the precepts. And when we do this, then the defilements, even though they may be very great, they'll steadily start to reduce. And uh, the comparison that's given is like a tiger that's in a cage. And if we don't feed that tiger, we don't give it anything to drink, anything to eat, um, then that animal, which before was very fierce, quite violent, will start running out of energy. And so it's the same with our feelings, these feelings of uh, pleasure towards the things of the world, and feelings of displeasure, uh, fear, hate. And uh, these, when we don't feed them, will steadily start to reduce. And it's just like the monks who go to practice in the charnel grounds. And, um, charnel grounds, for those of you who don't know, uh, they were used uh, in previous times in Thailand. Uh, they used to have one outside every village. And when people died, they would uh, put their bodies there. Sometimes they would cremate them. Sometimes they would just leave them in the forest. And so when monks go to these places to practice, um, there can be a huge amount of fear. There can just be this severe um, terror that comes up and it feels like there's nothing really to rely upon. But at the same time, there's a belief in the greatness of the Buddha. And we think that, they think that if they stay with this word of Buddha, then they will be safe. But if the mind isn't with that word, Buddha, uh, then it'll go and think it will get very scared and it will start proliferating upon that fear. Start thinking that there are ghosts here and they're going to come and get me, they're going to come and harm me. And the mind goes off like this, um, just 
believing and giving rise to all these stories, um, thinking in this way. But if we have mindfulness, then we can look at this proliferation. And so we try to do this um, during the entire day. Uh, that if our mindfulness gets sent outwards, um, we need to come back and we need to endure with these things. And because we know that if we don't endure, then these feelings will come up very strong, this fear will come up very strong. If there's no endurance, then these monks, they'll have to uh, flee back to the monastery. And if they do this, then their practice won't develop. So even there's a lot of fear, there's also bravery that comes up as well. And this is because of this ideal that we have, this purpose that we have to see the Dhamma, to see into the truth of inconstancy, stress, and not self. Um, that having been born already, uh, we must get old, get sick, and die. And so even though staying in these places, these scary places, problems may arise, there may be dangers, but these monks accept that. And they accept that uh, if they die, then they die, and that's okay. And uh, so for myself, I went to stay in a Chanagran for one month, and I had to accept the possibility of death every single day. And so I was staying there um, just during the night time, but even during the day I had to really collect my mind to be very cautious so that it wouldn't go and think a lot, it wouldn't proliferate a lot, so that there would be some peace there, because if there wasn't peace, then I wouldn't have any energy to fight with all the fear, all of the feelings that came up during the night. And when the mind is with that fear, and that fear is uh, strong, then it can really proliferate uh, very heavily. Uh, but even though this happens, you can also see that when we carry on practicing, then at some point it needs to stop. And when there's no proliferation, then no ghosts come. Nothing comes to get us. But it's as soon as that proliferation happens that ghosts suddenly appear. But when there's an absence of this thinking, this narrative, um, then all the ghosts disappear. We see that really there's nothing left. So in the beginning we need to understand um, that the suffering that arises in ourselves and there are things which bring this up. There are things which create difficulties for us. And the cause of this, of our suffering, of our difficulties, it doesn't exist outside of ourselves. What it is, is the defilements there within our hearts. That's which tricks us, tricks us into feeling fear. They can also trick us into being brave being brave in speaking and doing things which are harmful, which aren't correct, which uh, can destroy the lives of beings, trick us into not keeping our precepts, trick us into being deluded, into thinking about many, many different things. But if we contemplate, and then we can bring our awareness and our focus back inside of ourselves. If we have mindfulness, samadhi, and wisdom, and then our actions of body and speech, they'll be collected within sila. And we'll also have right view. 
And uh, this can adjust the mind and bring it back to a place where it's right and correct, where the mind isn't giving rise to suffering. Uh, because when the mind is suffering, then all these, all these feelings come up. There's a lot of anxiety there, for instance. And this is because we have a me and a mind that's present. It's because we have this anxiety, because we have such great love for these bodies of ours. And so this is what inspires all of the fear, all of that proliferation to be born. So when I went to practice in these channel grounds, uh, I gained this thought uh, to go there to practice. Um, I had the energy uh, to do it uh, because I had heard about my own teacher's practice, about uh, the lives of these great forest masters, these forest monks. But if I depended just upon my own energy, my own efforts, my own thinking, um, then I wouldn't have had what it would have taken to have gone to practice in these places. And so I listened to my own teacher, to Lumpu Cha, and he said that in order for him to have gained this Dhamma, that he's teaching all of us, he had to pass through many obstacles. He had to pass over the graves of ghosts. He had to pass through the jaws of tigers in order to get this Dhamma. So I heard this and I thought, well, I need to practice like this as well. I need to follow in his footsteps. So I went to go into these channel grounds and practice just like my teacher had before. And so he had this experience there in these channel grounds. And uh, one of these experiences that's in his biography is that uh, for three days in a row, there were three different corpses that were brought in. And there was a bird, a crow, that would warn him uh, before each of these corpses was brought in. And so, all throughout Lumpur Cha's life, he gave up a lot, he sacrificed a lot, he was extremely brave. And I thought, well, I have to practice like this as well, that this is what a monk does, and this is what I need to do. And so I went to train, I went to contemplate, until uh, I felt the most extreme terror possible. Uh, but something that I'd never experienced before. Uh, but even though there was that uh, such great fear, I still practiced and I'd sit in meditation. And then when my mind came together into stillness, then it turned empty. Then I went out to do walking meditation back in the very same spot where I was terrified before, and there wasn't anything. And the moon was shining very brightly, just like it was before when I was afraid. The atmosphere was no different than what it was before, but all of my feelings had changed. That this great terror that was there being terrified of death, that ghosts would come and try to harm me, try to mess around with me. And uh, this was actually something that had been instilled in me since I was a very young child, this uh, fear of spirits and ghosts. But when knowledge arose, then I could see that 
there was no difference between these things. That when fear was there, I'd separate it out, I'd uh, discriminate. Um, Thinking that this is a dead body and I am alive. And, uh, but really, people who are alive, they have bones as well. They've got a skeleton as well. It's just we think that that skeleton is alive. And the bones that are there on the ground or buried in the earth, they don't have life anymore. But when I contemplated, and I could see that really this isn't the case, I could see the truth, and my mind became very joyful. And I understood the nature of things like this. Uh, that I too needed to get old, needed to grow sick and die, just like these people, these uh, dead bones. And there's no difference between the two of us. And as I was looking at these bones, um, they appeared to me as flowers, uh, the flowers of the awakened beings, of the noble beings. And if we look at normal flowers, um, the flowers of plants, it's possible to get deluded in those. But when we look at these bones in the earth, if we contemplate well, then joy and happiness can arise. And this comes from an understanding into the truth that we have gained. So if we have this mindfulness and we have uh, this wisdom, then nothing external to us is able to affect us to have a damaging effect on the heart. If that uh, mindfulness and wisdom is quite weak though, then all of the experiences that we meet with will gain entry into our minds. And so we need to be cautious. But it's not that all of us need to live like a monk. Uh, For those who live lives in the world, um, it's still possible to train. It's to bring up this quality of generosity and do that a lot. There's also many, many things that you have to struggle with. In our lives, there are many obstacles, there are many difficulties. Uh, And when this mindfulness and wisdom, when its strength is quite weak, then when we meet with these problems, then suffering arises. So we really need to try to put in our effort to prepare ourselves first. And those people who have wisdom, they will prepare themselves first. So if our mindfulness is quite weak, then what do we do? Well, we have to do it a lot. We have to develop mindfulness a lot. If, we, uh, if that mindfulness gets distracted or it leaves us, uh, and it's difficult to bring it back, uh, we need to try to remind ourselves. We keep these objects of Buddha or maybe the Chanti Tipiso or looking at the breath. But when this leaves our awareness, we need to remind ourselves to bring it back. And now there's a lot of technology in this world and we can make use of that. So we can set a timer on a clock, for example. And maybe every minute we can set a beep. And when it goes beep, then we can ask ourselves, what are we doing right now? Is my mind with Buddha? Is my mindfulness here? Is my awareness in the present moment? Am I getting deluded in me or mine? Because if we don't walk this noble path, then the defilements will be walking 
and they'll be walking over us. So we need to see that when the sense of self arises, then there'll be proliferation in the mind. And that proliferation then goes to feed into that sense of self again. So we need to practice to see into the Dhamma, to bring up our efforts to have great amounts of mindfulness, to raise up our inspiration towards this practice. And so just like how uh, Lumpur Cha went out to stay in uh, charnel grounds and forests, um, I followed his footsteps. And I went to stay in these places as well. And uh, when you're there, it's necessary to really train a lot. And so I went out uh, to these forests and I met with quite scary things. There was one time I came across a snake that was four meters long and came across elephants in the forest and tigers as well. But I went there to train my mind. For us living at home, however, then how do we train ourselves? And uh, is it possible to train ourselves while we're working? Well, when we're doing this, when we're engaging in our occupations, then we have mindfulness and we do a lot of chanting. We can go through this recollection of the Buddha, the Chanti Dipiso, many, many times, and do this 108 times. And perhaps if we've got sincere effort, then in the space of one day, we can go through five rounds or 10 rounds. And we do this to reduce the thinking that we have. And when we are working or engaged in something that doesn't require our thought, uh, such as cooking or mopping or washing the dishes, washing clothes, then we can be chanting as well. We shouldn't just let this practice go. Uh, because we'll observe uh, that uh, this recollection of the body, of uh, gaya, nupasana, satipatthana, uh, bringing our mindfulness into the body, it's something that we can do throughout the day, whether we're standing, walking, sitting, or lying down, whether we're speaking, whether we're listening, whether we're thinking, then we're mindful, we're asking ourselves, what are we doing right now? If we're washing the dishes, if we're mopping, if we're cooking, uh, then we should be practicing as well. And so we do this, and we don't just put our mindfulness down, we don't allow that uh, to just go. Uh, because if we don't meditate, if we don't have mindfulness, then the mind will be thinking a huge amount. There'll be this great strength through the inner narrative that it gives rise to. And then when we go to sit in meditation in the evening, it'll be really tough to bring our minds to peace. But if we try to keep our mindfulness, however, uh, then we'll be able to bring the mind more easily to peace. And when we're working, then we try to uh, bring up these objects and try to think about them often, try to put down other thoughts of the mind. So we can recite Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, or Nibbana, Nibbana. We need to bring up our efforts, our inspiration, our motivation to do these things. We can ask ourselves, why do we need to practice like this? Because if the mind is always thinking, and if there's no peace to the mind, then there won't be any mindfulness. And we are taught that we're going to have to meet with suffering in the future. And when we think this, that suffering is awaiting us in the future, then what should we do right now? How should we prepare ourselves? 
we see that in this world we have to meet with loss, we have to meet with censure or uh, criticism, we have to meet with loss of status, we have to meet with painful things. And this is natural for all of us. So we need to prepare ourselves and to really put our efforts into this training. And now we have this meditation retreat, so we also have the time to do this. But we should take these methods that we learn and put them into practice in our daily life uh, to bring up this recollection, uh, bring up these meditation words, to look at our minds, look what they're doing. Because we see that there's the cause of suffering that we experience, and that cause is attachment or clinging. No one's able to make us suffer. And if the heart is pure, then there's nothing there that can cause the heart to suffer. And it's just like how the water on a lotus leaf runs off that leaf. None of it gets seeped in. And so too, the kilesas, when the heart is pure, aren't able to seep into the heart. So in this path of practice, we need to be aware. We need to have mindfulness looking over our own mind. To have this inner awareness, the one who knows. And whenever any sense impressions arise, whenever any emotions come up, whenever we see anything, hear anything, smell anything, taste anything, touch anything, um, then it's normal that these things will come into the heart. And when the mind experiences them, knows them, uh, then we need to be cautious. Because this mind, it is an element which receives these sense impressions. And if there's mindfulness present, then we're able to teach our own minds, teach them don't attach to these things. But if we don't have mindfulness there, however, then we won't have samadhi, we won't have any wisdom. And the mind will just get sent out. It'll get lost in these sense impressions. And when this happens, then instantly a sense of self arises. Uh, so for us now, we're practicing. And uh, we need to try to keep our mindfulness up to speed so that when, these, when it meets, when our mind meets with these sense impressions, uh, we don't send our mind out towards them but rather we have a mindfulness there, teaching our own hearts. These things are not sure, they're inconstant. What's the point in loving? What's the point in hating? These things are not sure. We teach our minds in this way so that they don't uh, give rise to these states. And every morning when we wake up, we tell ourselves, today I'm not going to give in to anger. I'm not going to think thoughts of ill will. I'm going to try and have kindness and compassion because all beings that are born, every single one wishes for happiness. No one wants to suffer. And so I'm not going to act in any way that gives more suffering to anyone. So we set our intentions in this way. But it's not the case, however, that when we set our intention like this, that we won't feel any of these things. We won't feel any anger, we won't feel any aversion, we won't feel any suffering. But what we do is when we experience these things, then we teach our minds, we train our minds. And we tell them, what's the point in getting angry? You're going to have to die, aren't you? Why would you want to love anything? Why would you want to be afraid of anything? 
you're going to have to die. That life is uncertain, death is certain. Death is the culmination of my life. My life must end in death. And sometimes anger can be very strong. Sometimes the proliferation can be very intense, can feel great uh, attraction and love. But we need to contemplate death at this point. And this is a method that Lumpur Cha taught. And I took this and I used it to practice as well. And so sometimes these feelings um, are very strong. Sometimes there's a lot of attraction, um, desire towards food, desire towards fruit juice even. And so Lumpur Cha, he taught that wherever it is that we're attached, that becomes the cause for birth. If we're attached to anything, then we'll need to get born. And when we're born, then we'll need to die. So whenever there's any attachment towards, (coughs) sorry, towards anything at all, then what will come from that is birth and death. (coughs) So we get born first. Oh, sorry, but this isn't the first time that we've been born, (coughs) this present life. We've been born many, many times before this. And we've grown old, we've gotten sick, we've died (coughs) many, many times as well. This isn't the first life that this has happened. And so why should we be afraid of death? Shouldn't it be better to be afraid of birth? And why aren't we afraid of birth? Because that birth, it's the cause for death. If we're afraid of death, then we need to be afraid of birth as well. If we're able to cut off birth, then we're also able to cut off old age, sickness and death. So we should see the drawbacks in these things. Now, whenever we're born into any form of life, then we'll need to experience death in each and every one of those lives. And this is the same for every single being in this world. And for us, we've died many, many times in this present world. And uh, the amount of bones that we have left behind, uh, it's higher than even the highest mountain. Because the number of times we've died is countless. And this is true for every single person here. So when we see like this, that things are this way, then we should uh, try to bring up a lot of mindfulness here in this present life, to be restrained, to be composed in our actions of body and speech, what we call sila, to have this quality of sacrifice, of generosity, giving up our selfishness. And then we come to try to train our minds, to give them a strong foundation. We seek out our own hearts and we search for our own minds. And uh, that's what we need to do in this life, that we don't just throw these things away, we don't just uh, leave them neglected, but rather we seek out our own minds. Because now in their present state, these minds have kilesas covering up over them and there's no peace, they're all scattered. And do we see this? So we need to try to come together to practice like we are now. And if there's all this thinking that's going on, then there won't be any peace. So we need to train to put this thinking down, to let it go. So like when we go off to work and we come back home again, we need to put all those things in the past down, all the things that we've met with during that day. We put it away into a drawer 
Uh, we open up a cabinet, we lock it inside, and then we shut down our computer and we come to practice, to contemplate, uh, to reflect upon these mantras that we use. In the beginning, however, maybe we can't do this, and we just aren't able to bring our hearts to instant peace. And I experienced this as well. When I was about 17 or 18 years old, I practiced meditation, and I felt like there was a lot of coolness and peace and uh, lightness there within the body and the mind. Uh, but after that, I became amused and distracted in the things of this world, and I forgot about practicing. But after some time, I thought, well, why is it that there's all this suffering there in my mind now? There's all this fear, there's this anxiety. So I came back, or I remembered that when I used to sit in meditation, then there used to be peace in my life. So I came back to practice again. And on the first day, I wasn't even able to sit for five minutes. I was so agitated, so stirred up. And when I saw that, that the mind was in such an agitated state, it was abnormal, just how much uh, kind of heat there was in the heart. So I determined to sit for longer and longer, and after some time I was able to sit for an hour. And uh, then I came to contemplate um, while I was sitting, and uh, there was ease that came both in the body and mind. You see that, or well, I saw that, um, when I wasn't composed or cautious throughout my daily activities, then when I came to sit in meditation, it just wouldn't be peaceful. But when I didn't have this intention to uh, compose myself, then there would be peace. So we see that we need to set our focus on understanding the Dhamma, just like I did when I was younger, because I saw the suffering there within me already. And the suffering compelled me to find a path out of suffering. And I took up this path of sila samadhi panya, of virtue, collectedness of mind and of wisdom. Uh, but initially I didn't really understand this path with clarity. But it was when I saw into the nature of conventions and experienced liberation uh, that my heart became very bright uh, through this knowledge. I saw that really there's nothing there at all. There's no self. The self, it's just not there. There's no me, there's no mine. Everything's empty. Everything is Buddha, uh, this nature of awakening, of knowing that all things are anatta. And I understood this path of practice in this way. And that this path of practice of sila samadhi panya is something that is sure. It is something that will bring us to peace. So we can take up these meditation words, or we can contemplate, and that depends upon our own character, depends on what our minds are inclined towards. Uh, because these days, people like to think a lot. Many of us use computers and technology, and um, when we're using these, then our thinking can go at a great speed. And just like when we're typing something, we can type very, very fast that our bodies order uh, the mind and the body, uh, our minds order the body to type like this and then the body follows very, very quickly. So when this is the case, then we need to bring up these mantras with great speed as well. 
Because if we don't recite them quickly, then the mind will be proliferating quickly instead. And so we see that now this world has developed and people's minds are far more scattered than they were before. They're much more chaotic, they're much more stirred up. And so we really need to focus on training our minds to either be contemplating or reciting these mantras. And uh, whenever our mindfulness leaves us, then we bring it back again. We contemplate once more and practice in this way. We keep going, we don't let up. And some people ask, is it possible for lay people to see the Dhamma? Uh, and that it is possible, because the Dhamma is something that is already opened and revealed. And uh, perhaps we see a tree that's fallen over, and it's fallen onto a cabinet, and it's uh, destroyed that cabinet. And here we can see the inconstancy of these things, of the tree and of the, cab the cabinet. But before it fell, it was quite difficult to see that. But really, both of these things were already inconstant, they're already changing. It's only now that these ideas are able to come into our mind when we see them destroyed or fallen over. So really everything in the world uh, is this way. Everything is of the nature to change. And just like we see these days with the ice that's melting, or the ice in the uh, Arctic and Antarctic, uh, the ice in the mountains, um, the sea ice that's there, this is starting to melt and the world heats up, then it changes like this, that these things are inconstant. And so this inconstancy, it's something natural to the world. And the one thing that is constant is the state of inconstancy, that everything changes, everything must change. That constancy is there within change. This body is constant in the fact that it will always have to grow old, get sick, and die. That all these cells must deteriorate. But then we go and attach to every single one of them and believe that I am the cell, that this collection of earth, water, fire, and air, it's me. But we need to teach ourselves and that this isn't the case because nature doesn't say, um, this is me. It doesn't know these things. Um, old age, it doesn't know that it's old. Sickness doesn't know that it's sick. Death doesn't know that it's dead. Suffering doesn't know that it's suffering. And these things, the body doesn't know that it's suffering either. It doesn't have a clue about these things. Um, all of the hair of the head, the hair of the body, the nails, the teeth, the skin, all the things in this body, they don't know that they are those things. Um, but when suffering comes up, then our minds need to take something to depend upon. Oh, sorry, we have the suffering and in this body and our minds come to depend upon these bodies. They take residence in them, just like how we take residence in the house. But when that house gets uh, old, when it starts to break, then we need to fix it. And when we're not able to fix it anymore, then we have to just let it go. And we have to get a new home. And so the mind is the same when it's not able to reside in this body anymore, then it'll have to find a new birth, it'll have to find a new life. It'll take residence again in one of in these four elements. And it's the delusion that we have, it's the pleasure that we find uh, in these things that necessitates our taking 
another birth. But we see also that when there isn't birth, then there also won't be death. And so the bones that are here uh, within this body, or the air that's there, the water that's there, um, it doesn't know that it's alive, it doesn't know that it's dead. But we are going to have to die for sure. And we don't know where we'll die, we don't know how we'll die, whether we're going to die in the air, whether we'll die on land, whether we'll die in the water, we don't know that. But we do know that we will have to die. And when we know this, that our death is something sure, then we should look at this world and see what's really here. And what is it that people are so lost in? Why is it that people scramble over the things of this world? It's because they're deluded. And so the fully self-awakened Buddha, he taught like this, in this way, that things are this way. And he taught this path of practice, this gradual path, um, that which steadily uh, teaches us to reduce the clinging that we have. And so we take up the practices of generosity and of virtue. And this trains us to fight against the defilements in our hearts, not just follow all of the emotions that we feel. And then the Buddha taught uh, the path uh, in more and more profound levels, that the benefits of sila, or virtue, is that of happiness of heart. But this happiness is also something in constant. Even the happiness of samadhi, of collectedness of mind, this is true something constant, and if we attach to that, then that thing is going to change. So the Buddha taught that all of these things are dhammas, these are phenomena, which have their causes to arise, to stay for some time, and then cease. And when that cause isn't present, then it will disappear. And this is how the Buddha was able to attain to that state of awakening. And then he taught this path to us, something that we should walk so now we're very fortunate to have met with the Dhamma of the Buddha. So what should we do now and what should we do with our lives? And we should think that whatever it is that we gain from this world, it's all inconstant, it's all something that's not sure. None of it are we able to take with us when we pass away. So we should put our efforts into finding something that we can take with us. And that is goodness, it's skillfulness, it's merit. So we put our efforts into this, into raising up our skillfulness. And a great method of doing this, a very high method of doing this, is the meditation that we're all doing now. So this is something very skillful, something which takes us to abandoning this ego, a sense of self. So we try to practice, we try to re raise up our motivation, our inspiration, to give it the best that we can in this life. So may all of you meet with the Dhamma. May all of you meet with peace of heart. May all of you gain wisdom.